Hello and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vanderwerf, the I, and I think you're interesting. This week, my guest is Alan Yang, the co-creator of Master of None. And Master of None has a very good shot at being my number one show of 2017. Uh, it's a Netflix comedy about the life of young Dev Shah, played by Aziz Ansari, and how he goes through his life in New York City. Every episode is kind of its own story. It's basically a beautiful little short film. You can dive into any given episode of the show without having seen it and more or less get it. But if you watch all 20 episodes from two seasons in a row, there's this cumulative effect that culminates in such a beautiful, beautiful season finale in season two. And it, it's a wonderful show. I'm looking forward to hopefully many more years of it. And I'm so happy to be joined by Alan to talk about it. Alan, it's really great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. Master of None season two, I think, is a, is a really impressive achievement. I really loved it. Uh, Thank you so much. It's for me kind of one of the TV shows of this year. Um, and uh, I watched it as the James Comey firing was happening. I was <laughs> like, I can just escape into this. And like people around me were like drenched with like flop sweat. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm just going to watch more Master of None. I actually had a couple people tell me like it's refreshing that there's no reference to Trump in the entire <laughs> season. You know, we wrote it before all that crazy stuff went down. And we talked about rewriting stuff to specifically address him, but we're like, you know what? He doesn't deserve to be in every piece of mm -hmm. art or culture. You know, it's like, yeah. let's t let's get people a break. And like, yeah, it was kind of an escapism type thing this weekend. Season two is, I think, just really, I'm interested in how you differentiate it from season one, because it feels very different to me while it's obviously the same show. And what, like, what were your conversations like as you were starting to think about season two and how you were going to make it look different, how you were going to, what story you were going to tell? The watchword was ambition. The watchword was, we did season one. Season one exists. We like it. We're, we were happy with it. It was very much who we were at that time. Um, but in the same way that for season one, we talked about wanting the show to not feel like anything else we had seen and not be derivative and not be, oh, this is their version of this. We want it to be different. And then season two, we said to each other, uh, we want season two to be as different from season one as season one was from the other stuff we had seen. You know, we just didn't want to fall into the trap of repeating a formula or looking at episodes season one said, oh, that was that was one that works. Let's just do that as a pattern and and kind of fall into being lazy. Um, you know, that was really important to us. Um, the other thing we talked about is, you know, uh, let's there are a couple episodes season one that that you know, were our favorites and, and they tended to be the ones that experimented or played with form or played with content or played with, um, you know, things that were outside the boundaries of what people had generally been doing in half hour comedy. Um, and I don't mean that in a pretentious way. I mean like, you know, you know, just, just, just trying to try to do, do different stuff. And, yeah. and, and, and it's, it's that simple. And so with that being our directive, then we started opening up to new ideas. And I like to think that over the course of season one, uh, we matured as writers, as directors, as uh, filmmakers, and as performers. And so, you know, armed with that extra experience, I think we had more confidence to take risks. And we had the confidence to say, well, you know, this is an episode that Aziz isn't in, or this is an episode that, that takes place over the course of 22 years, mm -hmm. or, you know, all of those things are ideas that should scare you a little bit. And to me, you shouldn't be doing episodes unless they scare you a little bit. You know, that's where you get into the interesting stuff. And that's where, yes, you can fail. And, and you know, we don't always succeed with everything we try, but, but that's where it's fun. 
Did you have sort of those dark nights where you were like, oh, maybe this will fail. Maybe we should do something less crazy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, some of the most, the more ambitious episodes this year, um, you know, I just talked about two of them, but, but, you know, the double length episode or the one that's black and white and 70% in Italian with no one from season one except Aziz, you know, (laughs) you know, that's the point where like, wow, we're, we're counting on the audience to get through this. And and this is all spoiler territory, you guys, but, but yeah, or, or, you know, in the episode New York, I love you. Look, you don't have the security blanket of your actors, of people that you know the audience cares about and loves and are, by the way, very funny people where they can bail you out. And you can say, Aziz, do something funny. Eric, do something funny. Lena, do something funny. Instead, in that episode, we had a lot of new actors. We had some people who had never acted at all. In the cab driver segment, um, we had a bunch of real cab drivers. Wow. And we had the main character, Samuel, is played by um, this guy, Enoch Ntekereze, who has never acted before in his life. Mm. And he carries that segment. And he's unbelievably good, I think. You know, he's just really, really natural and fun and and charming. And he really drives that story. But he's the main character for, for a whole segment of an episode of not too small budget TV. You know, so that that's great. And there's, an, there's a section where it's, Eight minutes of silence. Yeah. And Netflix called us and said, are you sure you want to do this? Because I, the executive on the show who believe in you guys who and, and, and love you guys, restarted my computer because I thought the episode was broken. <laughs> like yeah. I thought the service was broken. And they trusted us. And we said, we, we really want to do this. And we believe in the audience. We trust the audience. We respect the audience. Um, and then we screened it for a movie theater. And that was one of the things, that segment was one of the things that hit harder than anything we've ever screened before. So yes, we, we are constantly, you know, second-guessing ourselves and questioning and refining and improving. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, and and I like to think Aziz and I work well together because we push each other. We, yeah. we are both insanely hard workers. And, you know, when he shows me something that he's written, I have notes. And when I show him something I've written, he has notes. So it's it's uh, it's a process where, where we, we're always challenging each other. What is that partnership like? Because writing partnerships are very different for everybody. Some people sit in a room and write everything together and some people, you know, write separately. Some Sometimes there's a mix of that. How do you guys work together? How do you divide up labor? Uh, it's 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 pretty fluid. It's pretty fluid. Um, we, I wouldn't say we have one thing that we do for every episode. Because there's so many episodes, we can do them in different ways. So season one, it was a lot more of us in the same room because mm-hmm. it just, we you know, even before we had a writing staff, we had this interesting situation where we sold the show and then Parks and Rec got picked up for another season. So we had, suddenly we had more time to work on it. And that was an incredible blessing. Mm-hmm. In, in retrospect, I don't know how the show would have gone if we hadn't had that extra time. Because while we were working on Parks, we were also working on Master None on the side. Mm-hmm. And we even took a few episodes off. If you watch that last season of Parks, you'll see the diseases in every episode. And I took that month off also. And we came to New York and we walked around. And that's when we were really in the same room all the time, all the time, all the time. Um, and that goes for, you know, breaking story and 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 just pitching concepts. And that's when we, you know, broke the parents episode and 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 Plan B and Hot Ticket and Other Man. We wrote those four and part of Ladies and Gentlemen. Um and we wrote a lot of those before we had a writing staff. Um, mm-hmm. We had drafts. They weren't good drafts, but we had drafts. And and we, you know, we, so we had that. We were armed with those episodes when we started The Room. 
Um, and then season one, it was a lot of us, you know, again, we had such talented writers and we, we still do, uh, uh, you know, and so during the week we talk about the show and it was a little bit more like a normal writer's room, a little bit, but on the weekends, uh, Aziz and I would, would write the scripts ourselves. So right. we'd go to his house or my house and, 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 and work on the scripts. And that was very much two people in the same room. Season two, it's, it was a little more fluid. You know, we did, we did a lot of the breaking of story in the room and we would, you know, put stuff on note cards and we talked about premises. And then we did a little bit of like, you you know, sometimes we weren't always in the same room and we'd go off and write something. And then um, for some episodes this year, for instance, uh, uh, Marcian Poe, which is the second to last episode, is he's, that that's almost all him. Like he really did that one on his own um, and he, he directed it too and did a great job. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, we did, we do a lot of writing in the room too because, you know, we'll write a bad draft. On this show, we write the worst drafts ever, you know, in, in the sense that like we, we're not precious about the first draft because we know we're rewriting. So on a, another show like Parks and Rec, you know, you're writing a draft and Mike is going to do a pass. He, he's the showrunner. And so you, you want to make that draft, you know, really, really, really as tight as possible because someone else is going to do the rewrite. We know we're going to do our own rewrite. Right. So we just want to get it down. Like we'll, like season one, we would write a draft in a day or two days, which is really fast. And then we'll, we know we're going to rewrite. That's step one of 50 rewrites we're going to do. And what we do is we bring it to the room and we read it out loud. So we'll do that really crappy first draft. And then we'll read it over and over and over again with the writers taking all the different parts. Aziz plays Dev. And then uh, other people take other parts. You know, I usually do the stage directions and, and, and we just go through the script and sometimes they're 15 pages it's not even it's lo not long enough or you know it's 40 pages way too long and 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 that point where you refine and i think um reading it out loud in the room over and over and over again helps us get to a place where the the script is more naturalistic and feels more lived in and then after that point after we have a draft that is decent then we take it to the actors and we rehearse scenes with the actors and aziz does a lot of that on his own too which is which is great um, because it allows me to do other stuff and we can kind of divide and conquer. Um, but then we'll refine it even further and, 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 you know, the actors have some input as well at that point. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's a long winded answer to that question, but, but, uh, you know, it just, it's, it varies from episode to episode. I frequently find with my own writing when I'm stuck on a piece or anything, if I read it out loud, that does work. And hearing you mention that made me think of that. What is it about hearing the words out loud that helps you like see where it's going wrong it it helps you identify what's too we have a we have a term you know we say it's too writery that that happens a lot because you're you're putting stuff down you have a clever joke and you know it's but then you realize it's six sentences long and no one talks like that and so you don't we don't want that in the show mm -hmm. and our show is not a very jokey show you know there are shows that that are brilliant joke shows you know that are just they're based on jokes and they're incredibly funny and they're dense and unbelievably well crafted and i respect that that's not our show. Our show, when we really go hard for jokes, I, I think it kind of sticks out. And it's like, well, we want there to be comedy in the show. We want the show to be funny and entertaining and have funny situations and funny character moments. But we don't have as many really, really hard jokes as some other shows. And and, and I'm fine with that, you know. Um, so sometimes we do it to get rid of stuff that's too writery or sounds, uh, uh, sounds, sounds like it's written which it is yeah. <laughs> and and then sometimes it's it's just that you know the moments aren't landing or or you know the conflict in the scene seems manufactured or you can feel the hand of the of the writer uh you know dragging the characters along is in, instead of vice versa um and uh you know it just it just helps it mm -hmm. really helps and, and uh um we do that early on in the process
I'm going to try to ask this without spoiling season two too much. I will be doing some spoilery questions later, but I'll, I'll warn you before that. But uh, obviously Aziz is a famous person. Yeah. Um, people probably recognize him out on the street. Uh, Dev is not. Um, and this season you kind of approach the point where Dev could maybe also become a famous person and then you back away from that. Is that – do you feel like the show becomes something fundamentally different if he has sudden huge success? Yeah, we we didn't really want the show to be about that. You mm-hmm. know, that's a different kind of show. There have been shows about that. It didn't interest us. It didn't interest us as much yet. So it, it, I think it warps everything. You know, at a certain point, then you're talking about someone who's so high status that their problems are different, and you know, it's not. That's not what we want the show to be about. So. Um, we have, you know, our kind of joke is some, you know, sometimes when we're shooting on the street, people in the background are looking at Aziz and every time we do a really long take, that's like a three minute steady cam shot on the street. We have to avoid those onlookers, you Mm -hmm. know, the crew calls them bogeys. Right. And, and I think there's one or two shots uh, in each season where there's someone looking and we're like, you know what? They recognize him from Clash of the Cupcakes. <laughs> it's like that. We're like, that's a, that's a deaf fan. That's not yeah. a Z's fan. That's a deaf fan. And that's how we, that's how we rationalize it. Uh, but yeah. And, and, and then last year was like, that, he, he remembers from a go commercial. He saw a go commercial and then now he recognizes him. So he looked, um, but, but you know, it, it fundamentally warps everything. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, and I've seen it, I've seen it change in Aziz's life. You know, he, he gets recognized more. It's not, I don't think at the point where it's it's crippling his life. Like I think, you know, he has a few friends um, that we've hung out with that it, where they're so famous that it's you can't go out to eat unless you run out the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not quite at that point. And I, I just think that that's a different show and that's not where our interest lies. Yeah. Season two, you really use the cast in an in interesting way because you still have Lena and uh, Kelvin and, um, and Eric are all still there. But they're not really – it's not that core ensemble in the way that season one was. And how did that idea sort of come about like, okay, we're going to have Lena in three or four episodes and that's it? You know, it wasn't a conscious decision of this season's less ensemble. It was more uh, – and this goes for almost all the writing in the show. We just follow our interests and our gut and our instinct. And, you know, we have a bunch of ideas at the beginning of the year. And we just pick the ones we think are most interesting, you know, and, and, and we just were like, wow, this, like, I would love to see this. I, this would be, this would be my favorite episode of the year. Let's, let's make this one. Mm-hmm. And that's how we do everything. And, um, you know, that's how a lot of these episodes came out. We'd always, you know, we had want, talked about doing a religion episode for a long time. We had talked about, um, you know, and, and then the Thanksgiving idea came up and was so exciting. And then the, the New York, I love you idea came up and was so exciting and the dating episode. And, and so some of those happen to have our cast in them and some of them happen to be more dev solo and some of them have to be nobody. And, <laughs> and all of those were valid. And, you know, we, we did want to see the family again. You know, we love his parents. Um, we obviously wanted to see Eric and, and Calvin and Lena because we love them. It, it, it was all as, as organic as possible. There was no coming in day one saying this year, less of them or this year more of this character or less of this character it was more like wow that seems wow it seemed what if we found out that arnold had a long-term relationship like what would that be like that's really interesting let's pursue that and so that ended up being a deeper dive in his character um and likewise for lena for thanksgiving um so yeah it was really just like we have all these ideas and then we whittle them down and the ones we happen to pursue were less ensemble this year there was less kind of you know 
Dev learns the lesson. He sits around a table with his four friends or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's just less of that. Yeah, I just, you know, when I saw the end of season one, I figured, oh, okay, season two is going to be the friends all get back together by episode two or three. Yeah. He pursues Rachel for the rest of time. Yeah. For, and they finally get together in the series finale or whatever. Yeah. And you obviously ran very far away from that. But like talking with, sometimes talking with actors about that sort of thing can be like, oh, uh, I'm not going to be in this season. Like, did you have awkward conversations like that? Not really. I mean, I think. I think so many of the people on the show are just our buddies, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, it's like that, that always just makes it easier. Yeah. And, and, and I, I gotta be honest. Um, there's such great people to work with. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm not, this is not, you know, that's not bullshit. That's like, it's really fun. And, you know, on top of that, Aziz doesn't have an ego in that sense. You mm -hmm. know, he has an ego and I have an ego in the sense that we want to be great. We want to make great stuff and we want to work hard and make great stuff and be the best. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to someone else is funny in this scene, Eric's funnier in the scene than you are. Lena's funnier in the scene. Your dad's funnier than you are in the scene. He has no ego about that. Mm -hmm. He has no ego. You're not in this episode. He has no ego about that. He wants to make the show interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think, look, Eric's a producer on the show this year. He directed some for us. And, and you know, he had that really big episode. And Lena's – by the way, these people are busy. By the way, that's the other thing. <laughs> Lena has another show. She has another show. She's a yeah. showrunner. Um, so uh, – yeah, and, and I think the Thanksgiving episode was a great way to get her in the right. season more. But – no, they, people just, you know, they, they they weren't offended. You know, it was it was more like they had this great attitude of great. What, what are the ones I'm in? How can mm -hmm. I kill it in the ones I'm in? So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't bad. I think you have a really great eye for giving actors I never would have imagined handling really big dramatic material. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, Aziz, uh, you know, is, is great, but yeah. also like you have big dramatic moments with Eric, you have with H. John Benjamin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what is Archer. it? Yeah. What is it that you look at somebody and you're like, you know, they're really funny, but I'd like to see them like do a really moving speech about like marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's honestly, it's a little bit of, I think, innocence and naivete on our part. I think mm -hmm. it's, on, I'm, I'm serious about that. I'm like, this is our first show. And we kind of believe, I mean, we don't really believe this, but, but there's an aspect of we kind of think anyone can do anything. Mm. You know what I mean? If, if done the right way, if executed the right way, if the speech is written the right way, and we create the right environment for the actor, and we, obviously, they're talented people. But I, I think people get put in boxes sometimes. <laughs> and, we, and, we, and, you know, people like, you know, Ben John Benjamin is a comedic actor. He can't do that. Or, you know, Lena isn't really an actor. You know, she wasn't really an actor at all. She was mostly a writer. Like, she's, you know, we we thought this person just has something. And 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 to me, it's just finding interesting people. And, and you know, someone has this quote. I'm not sure who it was. I'm, I'm probably mangling it, too. But the best cinema is a documentary of just I'm trying to capture my actor's natural charisma. Right. And I'm, I'm trying not to impede that. And ideally, the writing and the directing is just get out of the way of their natural charisma mm -hmm. and their beacon of incandescent light that's inside of them that you feel when you walk into a room and talk to them. Right. How can I have the camera not extinguish that? You know, how can I have my <laughs> stupid lines not extinguish that? And I, dude, we have dinner with Benjamin. Benjamin's a friend of Aziz's and like I've had dinner with him. He says shit like that. You know, he's a wise man. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's been in long relationships. And, and so we've seen him say that stuff. And, you know, Eric is a big goofy guy in real life, but real life Eric is more serious than Arnold. And, <laughs> and real life Lena is, is just as wise as, as Denise is in the show. And, 
these are multifaceted human beings and no one is funny all the time and no one is serious all the time <laughs> except maybe like Daniel Day-Lewis or something but 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 you know like <laughs> I bet he's funny actually um but yeah I, so and so um it really is a little bit of uh, uh, to me it's an innocence and in like mm-hmm. saying you know look, this is our first show. Like, we, we just kind of believe anyone can do it. You know, we kind of yeah. believe it. You know, if you find the right person, they can do anything. I do think if Daniel Day-Lewis went in for, like, a really ribald slapstick comedy, like, he would get hit in the hit in the face with a pie for, like, a year yeah. just to, like, perfect his... He'd do it better than anyone. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's like, these people, honestly, that's the other thing, is, like, when you meet, meet people who are good at what they do, or ideally the best at what they do... That's not a coincidence. Like, mm. they're there for a reason. This is a tangent, really. I don't know why I brought That's this cool. up. Yeah. But but I've just, you know, the more people I meet who are at that level, I'm like, wow, that there's no coincidences, man. It's mm-hmm. hard work and talent and, and those two things combining and taste and just people murdering themselves to get where they are in terms of the highest level stuff mm-hmm. um, in any industry. In any, but, you know, mostly in, in what the people I've met have been creative industries. Um, but yeah, there's no coincidences, man. People mm. work hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things um, I, I, lo- I love about this show is that occasionally I think this show can, it, it wears its influences on its sleeve. You'll, like, you'll be like, okay, we know we're doing some Antonioni uh, referencing. So we're going to, we're going to just let you know that we know that. Yeah. But what are some other, like, what are some of the influences that, that played into this show? What were some of the films and TV shows and, and books, whatever you guys talked about as you were coming up with it? There was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Italian films and mm-hmm. we've talked about this a little bit as you mentioned Antonioni um, mm-hmm. but also De Sica obviously from the first episode mm-hmm. um, and Fellini um, you know just some of the not not just the cinematography and and you know casting Alessandra who looks like she could be in those movies um, and the black and white and all that stuff but also just the emotion and the lyricism and, and some of the the, the more poetic qualities in those movies, um, you know, I wouldn't say that we could ever reach that level, but it's something to aspire to and, and be inspired by. Um, and as far as uh, other stuff, uh, you know, we, we've just been watching so many more classic movies the last year or so. I've really gone on a kick, uh, you know, after we made the show, but because I had more time. Mm-hmm. But, but there's, you know, I feel like I'm lucky enough to live with within – a 10 minute radius walking from, you know, 15 art house theaters. And so (laughs) I just always check every day and see if there's something good playing. Um, We're also interested, you know, honestly, a little, there's a little bit of sociology in the show. There's, Mm -hmm. there's stuff in that first date episode where we referenced uh, studies about internet dating and, and, and app dating. um, And some of that seeps into the show. You Mm -hmm. know, there's, there's a conversation between, um, Aziz and uh, Diana, uh, the character played by Condola Rashad, where they say, uh, you know, the people responded to least on these dating apps are Asian men and black women. Mm. Uh, and it's just true. Mm-hmm. That, that's because we're readers and we, you know, we study this kind of stuff. And, um, and, and uh, you know, I just thought that was, a, you know, an interesting thing. And that that's just fact. That's mm. just fact. Um, and the other thing is we're, we're also, we do the research. So, so we want stuff to feel authentic. And one way to do that is to use real stories. So, mm-hmm. so for instance, for um, Thanksgiving, obviously we talked to Lena a lot and talked to her so much, in fact, that we wanted her to write the episode. And so she co-wrote it. Um, and then for New York, I Love You, we interviewed doormen. Mm-hmm. We interviewed cab drivers. We interviewed uh, a lot of deaf performers who happened to formerly be convenience store workers. That's a lot of that's real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we're inspired by real life. 
that's mm. that's really it. Mm. We had talked a little bit earlier about you were saying you didn't want the show to be too jokey, but I think about this show compared to some other shows kind of in this space, like um, Transparent or even something like Louie, and it is, there are more jokes, if that makes sense. Well, how do you decide what is a joke within the Master of None universe and like what's too much? Yeah, I don't know. It's a feel thing, man. It's a feel thing. It's it's like I, I say that and then we do some of the craziest, <laughs> broadest stuff you've ever seen. You know, think about the domino scene in season one. I mean, that that's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. That's super broad. But it was just I honestly am like when something is funny enough or mm-hmm. or just, you know, we try to be realistic with stuff and we try to be grounded, um, but there's some silly stuff. I mean, like the Jabberwockies coming in is really funny and and uh, all the Clash of the Cupcake stuff and, and there's stuff in the finale that's, you know, that's pretty clearly like a, a clear comedy, you know, not necessarily a set piece, but, mm-hmm. but a clear comic situation. Um, it's case by case. And I'm sure we, you know, I'm sure some people are like, that's too broad or the show doesn't have enough jokes, you know, and, and so it's, it's just taste, you know, people yeah. watching the show. Um, you know, we're not as broad as some of the other stuff out there, but we do have some wacky stuff in there. You know, it's, 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 it's really a feel thing. And the other great thing is because it's a television show and it's in this format, as opposed to say a film, uh, there's 10 episodes this season. And yeah, one of them could be a little more serious and Mm -hmm. one of them can be a little funnier and one of them can be a little sillier and one of them can be a little warmer. So that's a nice, uh, you know, option for us is that we can mix it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've said you're you're watching more and more classic films, and it feels to me like this this sort of era we're in, especially with with things like Netflix and Amazon, we're getting to a space where TV is becoming more movie like, and movies are becoming more TV like, and like they're sort of meeting in the middle, especially with like superhero franchises. Man, I've talked like. about that so much <laughs> with my friends. How the Marvel universe is just TV. It's yeah. called, and I I don't mind it. I like those movies, but mm-hmm. man, I was like, this is so much like Parks and Rec. I was like, like watching, like I was watching <laughs> Captain America: Civil War. I'm like, man, they just just have these ensemble th- scenes. They're hanging around the office, like making jokes. Then you follow like two guys. It's like Captain America and his guys. It's really, it's it's an episode of TV. And I don't mean that in a bad way. There's yeah. something really rewarding about that. And they're doing this with whole movies now. If you've seen the trailer for Spider-Man, it's like, oh, that's a Spider-Man, like Iron Man two-hander. That's yeah. like when we put like Ron and Leslie are in a story together. And then like, you know, you know, Andy and and, and, uh, and Andy and Aziz are in a story together. Like that's, they're, they're doing that with the movies. <laughs> it's crazy. Dude, what do you, like sort of what do you think, especially in this era as they're turning into each other, like what do you think is fundamentally TV and what do you think is fundamentally film? And like what are the what are the qualities of those that you like stories in each? Well, the thing I used to say, and I'm not sure if this is true anymore, is a movie is a short story and a TV show is a novel. <laughs> and the other thing that I've heard is film is a little bit more about plot and TV is a little is a little bit more about character. Now those those are not rules. But with TV, I like to think, with our show at least, what we do differently from a movie, I think, is there is a lack of focus. And I mean that as a virtue, not not a flaw. Mm-hmm. I, I like to think of it as a kind of the, – the world of the show is 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 rapidly flattening in, in an interesting way. And by that I mean this season our focus is, is broadening – you know, Dev is always going to be the the core of this of the show, and we're going to follow his story the most. But if you watch this this season, you know, episode two is more about Arnold's story, mm-hmm. and episode eight is more about Lena's story, and episode six is more about um, totally new characters. And so, 
you know, the the show allows us to cast our gaze on other characters. And to me, it can show a broader worldview. And, you know, obviously there are films that do that. You know, there, there are films that are more anthologized or, or, you know, more scattershot. But we have this lengthier canvas because simply because of the, the, the scope of the show – um, to me, that's really interesting. And and there's something fun about these shorter length stories. You know, a 30-minute story is something that you can watch and wrap your brain around more immediately and see the beginning, middle, and end in, in, a, in, a, in a more condensed period of time. And there's something about, you know, 10 of them put together, I think, that, you know, feels different from a movie. And and a movie, I used to say, like, you know, the movie is, wow, this is the most important event to ever happen in a person's life. That is usually, you know, oftentimes a lot of movies are like that. And our show is not necessarily like that. You know, this is, our show is more like, what is what is your day-to-day and what happens, uh, what are the interesting moments that happen to you emotionally that, um, that might not be, you know, you saving your lover's life or so you know whatever it is you know you're like you're hanging off a cliff or getting chased by dinosaurs you know that you know that that's that seems like a movie um but uh i don't know maybe we'll put dinosaurs if we do another season <laughs> you you've done some directing on the show as well uh how do you see sort of the writing side of yourself informing the directing side of yourself and vice versa uh yeah um i i really like directing and mm-hmm. and uh What's nice about writing or being coming from a writing background is that, uh, number one, you're willing to throw stuff out all the time as a director because because uh, you wrote it. <laughs> so, you know, you know, you don't have to be precious with it. Um, and hopefully, if you have a background in writing, you're able to marshal your resources as a writer on set and and come up with new stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, that's that's a huge part of it um, because nothing is going to go as plan- exactly as planned. The script is a blueprint, and we usually get the scripted version, but you may be there on the day and start shooting a scene and find that it does not work. Right. And then that's when you, as a director, need to be a writer as well because you need to figure out what those actors are going to say because they're going to be staring at you, and the crew is going to be staring at you, the gaffer, the best boy, the DP, the production, because they're all waiting to see what you're going to decide to do. And... That's when being a writer really does help because you can come up with new stuff and 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 having come up with a ton of stuff for the show already, you you know you definitely have the confidence that you can do that. Mm-hmm. And even when it's smaller stuff like this joke isn't hitting or this line isn't hitting or what's another word for this, um, I have a lot of experience doing that. <laughs> I've been doing that for a decade, so um, that's always really helpful. I, you know, I I you know I think it's been said a lot that that comedy writers make the best comedy directors because they're so intertwined. They're mm-hmm. so intertwined, and a lot of it is taste and what's funny. And if you're a comedy writer, you've been toiling away figuring out what's funny for years. Um, and the other thing about I just want to add as as far as directing on our show goes. It's a very collaborative process. It's a very collaborative process. Uh, Aziz and I and and Eric this season, uh, starting this season, uh, were behind monitors for every episode. And Aniz is there too, actually. He was the writer on set this year. So um, really the, the four of us are collaborating on a lot of stuff. And if you're busy with directing stuff and you need a joke, then you can ask Aniz and Aniz will pitch you a joke. And if you need help with framing, I can turn to Aziz and Eric and say, what do you think? Should this be wider, tighter? Um, you know, all of that stuff is so helpful. And, and you know, Aziz has, has said this before in interviews. 
he has a lot of hats on the show and right. he has to be in a lot of the scenes. So for the episodes he directs, he trusts me and Eric to tell him how he's doing and to tell him it's good or it's not good or to, you know, and, and, and to, and to let us handle some of that stuff. Um, uh, the show is very much his vision and, and, and our vision together, but, uh, you know, we help him a lot with that when he's directing. Right. Right. You mentioned that Aziz wears a lot of hats. Like everybody who's in the cast or, or somewhere involved in this show seems to wear a lot of hats. I know you've done a little performing, a little acting here and there over oh, the yeah. years. Is there a part of you that like if there is a season season three, you'll be like, oh, and here's Dev's new best friend, Alan. He's going to have like six episodes about him. Uh, I think we'd only do that if uh, everyone quit the show. <laughs> They're like, damn, we need an actor to like, jump in there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Um, I think it's probably helpful for us that there's one person who's not in the show. <laughs> uh, but, you know, who knows for the future? Um, you know, I'm, I'm working on a movie and, an, and another new new project, and, and, and we'll see about that in the future. It's I don't think I'm the type of person who would ever carry something, but it would be fun to be a, like a, do a small part. We're all fans of something. Me, I'm a fan of Pixar's movies, you know, things like Toy Story, WALL-E, The Incredibles. I just think they're great. But with absolutely everything changing about the way we consume culture, the way fandom works is changing too. I want to tell you about an awesome new podcast about exactly that change. It's called Fan Club, and it's about why we love what we love. Fan Club is a short series hosted by Ross Martin, who has perhaps thought more about fandom than anyone else on Earth. Ross has dedicated his career to marketing and innovation and entertainment, named one of Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, and a three-time Emmy winner to boot. Ross has continually explored fandom through his work at Viacom, home of Comedy Central, MTV, Nickelodeon, BET, and so many more iconic brands and shows that you love. On Fan Club, Ross is trying to figure out the future of how we are going to watch, listen, and consume culture. He talks to a slew of amazing, brilliant people across the pop culture landscape. Musicians, artists, fashion designers, chefs, even scientists, about how their work is being experienced today and how they think it will be experienced in the years to come. This week, Ross talks to the one and only Charlotte Charlemagne the God about how his relentless honesty created a bond with his fans around the world. Listen now by subscribing to Fan Club on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You had mentioned earlier that that Netflix had a moment where they were like, do you want to do this this scene with the the deaf characters? Yes. Uh, But also I'm wondering when you called them up and said, we want to go to Italy for two episodes, like what was that conversation like? Because that that can't be – inexpensive. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a leap of faith and, and it's a conversation. And, mm-hmm. and I saw some jokes online where it's like, isn't the, like the Hawaii show something you do season seven or something like that's when you get the, the cash to do that. Um, no, but they were very, they were very kind to us. And, and, you know, it's actually interesting because universal is the studio behind the show because, um, I had, a, I had, I sure. had and have a deal with universal, um, that I've, and where I've worked for many years. And so they're actually paying for the show and Netflix helps too, mm-hmm. uh, at this point. But, you know, we did a call with this, this, this dude, Jerry, who is the head of like production at universal. And we talked about this Italy idea and he's like, no way let's do, let's do special effects in the back. And I'm like, we, Jerry, you can't CGI all of Italy. These are whole episodes, Jerry. Um, and then I, you know, I kind of did the thing where, uh, I promised him that we'd do some, cheaper episodes down the road, some bottle episodes that only take place on the set. Um, and I didn't have any idea of what those would be. I, I lied. <laughs> I was just like, we'll do some bottle episodes. And then we ended up writing some anyway. This happened season one, too, where we were asking to shoot, to, to build India. You know, we, we built 
uh, you know, a, a, it was very expensive to build India and part of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And I had the same conversation with Jerry. I said, we'll do some bottle episodes. And I had no idea. I had no conception of what the bottle. And we wrote an episode mornings that was a bottle episode. And honestly, the Thanksgiving episode is basically a bottle episode. Yeah. So we did save money. We did do it. And so so weirdly, everything worked out. But we, I, I totally lied and said <laughs> we had a plan. And it came up. Uh, we did it anyway. Uh, you've worked with Mike Schur a lot now. He does. He's a producer on this show, but he, of course, showrunner of Parks and Rec. Um, you, you've done some consulting on on The Good Place. Yeah. What have you most learned from him? Like, what's been the lesson that he's imparted to you? You can be kind to your employees and be really, really good at the same time. Mm. You don't have to scream and yell. You don't have to keep people till five in the morning. You don't have to do all these crazy things that I've heard other showrunners do. Um, he is a he's a good guy, man. He's a good guy. And uh, you know, I've learned a lot of writing uh stuff, obviously, from him. Um, that's a technical term, writing stuff. Uh <laughs> but but uh but you know, a big thing is is just also just watching how he treats people and uh um respecting people and letting letting your writers feel comfortable and and giving them a voice in the room. And list, actually listening to them <laughs> instead of just paving over them <laughs> and sort of just doing your own thing. I'm sure other people do it that way and, and it works if they're geniuses. Um, I'm not a genius and, and and we, you know, it takes a lot of people to make the show. Um, but yeah, it was learning learning from Mike and, and, and Greg Daniels too at the beginning of season one of Parks. Um, you know, watching those guys really talk about the primacy of story was really interesting to me um, where – you know, I hadn't done that much uh, narrative when I started. I worked on South Park very briefly, um, and then I'd come from uh, the much lauded Last Call of Carson Daly, which was a late night show. We're getting um, to it. We're yes, to it. but uh, which I can't wait to talk about. No, the uh, <laughs> I actually love Carson, but but uh, the uh, you know just listening to the, those guys talk about agonize and and sort of really focus on the story, what's happening, and is it motivated and are the characters driving it and then talking to Greg about about jokes and how they're not every line has to be a joke because we're establishing these characters as human beings and once you establish them as human beings people will laugh at them just doing literally nothing we were at a table read once and very early on in the show and Nick Offerman who plays Ron Swanson um, had a line or, or, you know, it was, he didn't even have a line. That, that was, that was amazing about it. A- a- Amy Poehler had a line and then Nick had basically a silence, a pause. And maybe he did a small thing with his eyebrow at the table read and it got a huge laugh and he, he did, he basically did nothing. And I was talking to Greg after the table read and I said, wow, man, he got a good, he got a big laugh there. We didn't even give him a joke. And he's like, sometimes there doesn't have to be a joke. Mm. Sometimes it's about the person's reaction. It's about the character, uh, you know, what the character's thinking and you relating to them and, and all of these things where you're dimensionalizing these people. And it really, it really, uh, influenced me, I think, in terms of writing comedy and, and not doing such a joke-based style of comedy. Now, if you watch Parks and Rec, there's a ton of jokes. And, yeah. and that's some of the joy of that show and some of the most fun I had was, you know, trying to pitch the best joke. And 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 But but at the same time, there's some human moments. And, and with with this show, you know, I would say it's it's even more it's 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 eighty percent human moments and twenty percent comedy. You know, it's, it's we're we're really shifting it, and that's that's really as I've gotten older is, is where my what I'm interested in. Um, Who's your favorite Parks character to write for? Man, uh, that's a great question. I it's a it's a 
multi multi faceted tie, um, and I know that's a bad, that's a bad cop out. Like, <laughs> but he, here here's here's why. If you're just writing jokes, then <laughs> it's like Andy or Tom or something, where it's like, well, Andy is a he's Homer Simpson in some ways, yeah. you know, which is the easiest. <laughs> when you're writing jokes, that's the most fun, where yeah. it's like you know you can you can write him saying anything and and he'll sell it. Um, but character wise, I mean, there's. Look, there's it's it's very fun to write Leslie and very fun to write Ron because they're so clearly defined. You know, they're right. so clearly defined. And then and then honestly, I think I I ended up writing a lot of stuff for Tom because mm-hmm. it was Aziz and he was my closest friend on on, on, <laughs> on in the cast and we spent a lot of time together and we were probably most similar unfor- right. fortunately or unfortunately right the yeah. character the character's a bit of a douche but uh <laughs> um but uh so so I ended up I think you know everyone writes for everyone but you know I ended up doing quite a quite a bit of stuff for Tom so so yeah it's 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 a, it's um and th- and that's no slight on any of the other characters cuz I loved writing stuff for Chris and 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 Adam Scott's character and and Aubrey and and Rashida I mean honestly like it dude no one, no one was more fun to write for than Jerry. I mean, yeah. Jerry was. Oh, wait, I have a new answer. Pert Happily. Yeah. Pert Happily was my favorite to write for. Forget everyone else in the cast. Forget the real answer is Pert Happily. No, and no one else even comes close. Just Pert Happily writing those jokes was the best. You were there for for basically the run of the show, right? I mean, I think you, you mentioned you took a month off. In yes, there, but front to back, other than that month, yeah. Yeah. When you get past like episode one hundred, when you're in those later seasons, like. Was it hard to come up with stories? Was it? Was it kind hell of yeah. yeah, hell yeah, man? Yeah. <laughs> That's too many episodes. No one should. No one should be forced to do that. No, it's it's really hard, and so that's when I really respect. I really respect those shows that run a long time because it's not easy. And then I think you hear this from a lot of writers and showrunners. Then when you know when the show's ending, boy, that's a that's a relief. And then you start being like, like, wow, we can finish storylines, and mm-hmm. there's some sort of you know conclusivity that's not a word but i just said it anyway to the whole process and and that's you know that's that's a beautiful thing you know that's a beautiful thing where you can you can start figuring out the arrows of these characters have been pointing in certain directions the whole run of the show and now you can finally have them those arrows come to a resting point and 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 that is really satisfying right right you uh you wrote an episode of the good place um i consulting producer means a different thing on a lot of different shows (laughs) yeah uh, sometimes it just means you come in and you're like change that word and then you leave and and, yeah but uh like that show is one of my favorites also it's a, such a great crazy like just view into the universe what did like what did you know about that first season and 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 just sort of unfolding that surprise uh, like what was that conversation like because uh maybe people haven't seen it but well, let's just spoil it. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> yeah, we can spoil. If you do, if you haven't seen the Good Place, skip ahead a little. Yes, yeah, skip yeah. ahead a little bit. Um, wait till we talk about Carson Daly. Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, so yeah, that was a fun thing where we had just finished season one of Master Don, and Mike Shore and I uh, share a bungalow uh, mm. on the Universal Studios lot. So mm-hmm. we both have little offices there. Uh, well, my office is very little. It's because it's kind of part time at this point because I'm not in uh, LA anymore. But last year I was in LA for a little bit, and you know I was going in and working on some other stuff in 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 my office. And you know Mike was toiling away on a new show that had not yet been announced. And sometimes we go walk to lunch or walk around the lot to get out of our little bungalow. 
And he started saying, hey, do you want to hear this idea? I said, of course. And so he he pitched me the idea and I was like, holy shit, that's really interesting and cool and very different from Parks, which is great. Um, and uh, then he said, okay, well, do you have any, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And he was reading a bunch of philosophy books because mm. that's how that's how much of a hard worker Mike is and that's yeah. how much he'll put in the effort. And then he started, you know, showing me little excerpts from these philosophy books and saying, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then he started pitching me new stories and he was like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then he's like, do you want to just come into the offices when we start <laughs> writing and hang out a little? I was like, yeah, sure. And cause I was, you know, I was, I was, I was there, I was in yeah. the office. And so, um, then I started, yeah, I was in the writer's room for a little bit and, and, you know, I, you know, I wasn't there the whole time. That's why hence consulting producer. Um, so I was hanging out in, in the writer's room some and, 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 uh, you know, you know, helping out here and there. Um, and it was like, it was like a parks reunion cause there's a lot of parks writers on that show. Mm -hmm. And then he, then Mike said, uh, uh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Like, you want to write the second episode? I was like, yeah, sure. So I'll write the second episode. So, so, uh, so yeah. So, um, you know, we outlined that one and, and, and figured out all that stuff and, and yeah, I helped out a little bit. And then this year, um, you know, they, they're writing right now, um, and I'm going to direct an episode later. Okay. So that'll be fun. Um, I, by the way, here's a very weird story about that bungalow. Um, that we started working in last year. Um, you know, it's on like the Universal Studios lot, which sure. is that you can do a tour and stuff. And uh, I, you know, someone was came up to us as we were walking to co get coffee or something. And she said, oh, are you in Bungalow, you know, 51, whatever, whatever. And we're like, yeah, yeah. And and she said, oh, you're new in there. She's like, yeah. And she's like, uh, you know who had that bungalow before you? And we were like, no. She's like, oh, it was Brett Ratner. And we said, okay, that's weird. Um, and then she's like, you know who had it before him? And we said, no. And she said, Bill Cosby. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> that was Bill Cosby's bungalow? And now it's like me and Mike? It was, this is so weird. Like, that was just so weird. I don't know if it's true, but but I, it's weird. It's very weird to think about. And and uh, we, we you know, we got to exercise that, that bungalow at some point. Did you guys, did they know the twist of that season going into season one of The Good Place? Like, does that plotted to that twist it was all in mike Scher's beautiful brain yes hmm. it was all that was planned he knew the last scene of the season before we wrote like episode one i think i mean or yeah i mean he had the outline for the whole season that's a very uh, mike Scher thing to do just man to, you gotta know where you're going yeah. doing a show like that that's really tough man it's really i do not envy the writers this season because it's it's just really complicated you know yeah. it's really like that's you've got to that's so plot driven and 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 especially with you know you saw what happened with westworld with just the internet render farm guessing everything ahead yeah. of time. You know, and I thought that was, you know, I enjoyed that show, but I also ruined it for myself by going online and just seeing everything that's going to happen. Mm. Um, and no one really guessed the good place uh, twist, which was cool. Yeah. You've mentioned you've worked in LA and New York. What do you like about both? What do you hate about both? Great question. I could talk about that all day. Uh, so I'm a California boy. I was, mm -hmm. I grew up in Southern California in, in Riverside, which is very different from LA, but it's still in California. I lived in Riverside for a long you time. You did? Yes. I Where did. and why? Uh, <laughs> I worked at the newspaper there. I lived right over by Moreno Valley. The Press Enterprise? The Press Enterprise. Wow. Yeah, it what did you do uh, with the Press Enterprise? I was a copy editor there, and then I was their TV writer for like three months. And then oh. they were like, uh, no, you're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're lost, man. Yeah, so my mom lives in Riverside still, and she teaches high school in Moreno Valley. She teaches uh, okay. math at Moreno Valley High School. School, oh, wow. home of the Vikings. Um, but uh, yeah, so so here's my thing. For me, New York is more fun right now. Mm -hmm. New York has, this is a cliche, but has an energy, 
And, and I think it's due to the just the density of people. They're just on top of each other and and you're walking around. And, and to me, like I, when I'm thinking of stuff to write or, or writing, which I consider like I consider writing, walking around doing nothing writing because <laughs> you're marshalling the ideas in your head and trying to put them together in interesting ways. The actual typing of it is the easy part. Like the script pages is the easy part. The hard part is walking around figuring out what the hell you're going to do. So I really like doing that in New York because, you know, walk something about walking and thinking is so much better than just sitting in a room and thinking. So I really like doing that in New York. Um, I think Aziz is the same way. He really likes New York. Um, it's better. It's a, to me, it's a better city to be single in. Um, it, you know, people are just... I think people just want to get out of their apartments because they're small. And then in L.A., your place is probably a little bigger. Mm -hmm. So the thing about L.A. is, you know, if you're settled down and you're comfortable and, 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 and you know, um, it's a wonderful place. I think New York right now, to me, is, is the best city in the world. It's my favorite city in the world. L.A. is vastly underrated. People talk shit about L.A. all the time. And... Um, it's a great place, man. It's beautiful every day. I know it's a cliche to talk about the weather, but, but it really is. It mm -hmm. really makes a difference. Um, the thing I love most about LA is, is my family. Um, you know, I miss them tremendously. My dad and my sister live in Pasadena and my mom, as I said, lives in Riverside. So I don't get to see them as much as I'd like to. Um, I have a lot of friends there. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, New York, New York to me is where it's at, man. And, 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 the other, the very other, the other thing that is very silly is that uh, I feel like I had eaten at a lot of the restaurants in LA, and now I get to eat at the new restaurants in New York. <laughs> <laughs> food is food is really important to this show, and I oh think yeah, to both you guys. What what like what about what about food gets you excited? And what's what's your favorite restaurant discovery recently? Oh man, it's just. Man, we just like eating too much. We just like, and it's crazy how many people on the show like it. Cause, cause Eric is a food guy too. Like me and Aziz, obviously, you, everyone knows at this mm -hmm. point if you care about the show at all, how insane we are about food, and it shows in the show. Um, but there, you know, it's it's very universal. You know, like I like traveling too, and me and Aziz both like traveling. Eric loves traveling, and and when you go to a new city what better way to, you know, meet new people and talk to new people than, than, than just going to great places to eat and talking to them and sharing their food and learning about their culture through food. That's a great aspect of it. Um, really, it's just delicious, man. And, 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 uh, you know, my family really grew up liking food. My sister's insane about it. She's the kind of person who's always taking pictures of food. So we really bond over that. My mom's a great cook, you know, all of that stuff. Um, plays into it but uh yeah it, it's it's just such a big part of the show and as far as new restaurants man i just had a crazy meal last night it was so good um it's this place called the grill and it's in midtown um mm -hmm. so what happened is uh, a friend of mine named mario carbone is this really really successful chef um he does a restaurant called carbone he does a restaurant called santina parm uh dirty french uh you know all of these places, Sedell's. Um, so he and his partners opened a new place um, called The Grill um, in the former restaurant for the Four Seasons space. And it is crazy, man. It's a blowout meal. It's like a special occasion meal. But uh, it is – there's a lot of spectacle as with all Mario – Mario's places like there a trolley comes by with prime rib in it you know and you know when you order dessert there's it's cherries flambe and there's fire and there's a dish, call, dish called pasta a la presse which a server comes out with a beautiful cart with a silver antique silver mechanical press and she said 
She said, Chef Mario found this press uh, in an antique store in New Orleans, and it had never been used. And I'm going to take some duck, some squab, and some guinea hen and put it in the press and 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 sort of press it down. And the juices from that cooked chicken will be imparted into a sauce that will then be put on top of the pasta. That's the kind of place it is, Todd. That's the kind of crazy shit I'm talking about. Um, and, and uh, yeah, it was a really great meal. I was there with some really good friends of mine and 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 uh, uh, highly recommended for a special occasion. True or false, I was, I was talking with a friend of mine. She said she thought that you and Aziz, if CNN was like, you guys just want to take over Anthony Bourdain's show, you'd give it all up and just like go take over that show. Uh, I would love to do that show, man. That's a dream job. That's a dream job. I mean, his life seems pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said I was going to ask you a Carson Daly question, and I am. Mm-hmm. Before I was a married person, I used to watch uh, Conan O'Brien to fall asleep. Yes. And if I saw... Carson Daly's face, I was like, fuck, I'm still awake. Uh, <laughs> what was the vibe like on that show? Because it's in the hinterlands of the TV schedule. Yeah. Like, working on that show, like, what, what? were you aware you were just there for Insomniacs? Or? Dude, it's so, that's, so the show was on at 1.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing is, like, man, that was my first writing job. That was my first writing job. When I started there, I was 22, I think. Mm. And... I was just happy to be working, happy to be working. <laughs> and honestly, it was a good experience because, you know, Carson was trying to do some comedy stuff because I think maybe he was thinking about trying to do 1230 at some point. And on a show like that, a late night show that does comedy typically has 15, 20 writers, maybe mm-hmm. more because it's so much content to create. Last Call of Carson Daly had three writers. Mm. And so we were scrambling and we were trying to do as much as we could. You know, there got to be a point where I would come in in the morning and write 25 monologue jokes. Then, you know, write, try to write a bunch of tape pieces to shoot. And then, you know, we'd produce those pieces ourselves. Sometimes we'd act in the bits. You know, you do the live bits. And then, you know, because you're just scrambling. Because every day you're trying to put content in there. And, and, and there weren't very many of us. So it was a real. So what we got to do is really, like, learn a lot of different disciplines we learned a little bit of editing a little bit of casting a little bit of you know production and and so that was a great first experience and on top of that carson's a really nice dude mm. um you know we we played a lot of fantasy baseball and you know sometimes we got to eat with him and and uh you know the show moved to la at a certain point and he would have the writers over to his house and he'd, he'd have a barbecue so I, I like that dude a lot and and i'm grateful to him for giving me my first job and i actually saw him uh at the Emmys last year, um, and uh, he won an Emmy for The Voice, and and uh, you know we hung out. We're like, man, that's pretty cool. Like, mm. you know, we've known each other this long, and uh, we're we're both here now. And uh, I I recently looked up the show because I'm still good friends with the writers from that show, and I saw that it had run something like seventeen seasons or something. Like oh. they've done yeah. thousands of episodes, and I think it's the longest running like late night show of that kind. Yeah, you know, it really like so you know. We joke about it, and Carson gets it because you know he, he. But he's doing so well, and 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 uh, he was a, he was a, he was a nice boss. One of my favorite things about being a dude is shaving. Shaving for me is one of those nice little respites from the rest of the world that I just get to sit there and focus on my face. 
and the shaving lotion and the feel of the brush and all of that wonderful stuff. And when it's done, I always feel sort of rejuvenated and refreshed and ready to take on the day. And The Art of Shaving, founded in New York in 1996, has been helping guys look their best for over 20 years. The Art of Shaving has your total routine covered, whether shaving, beard maintenance, hair, skin, body, or fragrance. The Art of Shaving's award-winning products are formulated with the highest quality botanical ingredients featuring pure essential oils, as I can attest. The four elements of the perfect shave have been created to deliver smooth results every day. Start by prepping skin with their signature pre-shave oil, then create a thick, foamy lather with shaving cream applied with a shave brush, shave, then replenish moisture with their aftershave balm. Finish off the perfect shave with one of their five fragrances, sandalwood and cypress, oud suede, vetiver citron, green lavender, and coriander and cardamom. Each cologne has been carefully assembled for a distinctive scent. The Art of Shaving offers a convenient replenishment service that allows you to save on your favorite products while never having to worry. Our listeners will receive 15% off their first order and free shipping by using the promo code TODD, T-O-D-D, two D's in the name. To get this offer, go online to theartofshaving.com and use my special promo code TODD, T-O-D-D, to get 15% off your first order and free shipping. You can also visit theartofshaving.com for this special offer, or if you want a consultation with a grooming expert, step into one of their many retail locations near you. So uh, listeners of the podcast know I ask my guests some of the same questions at the end of every episode. I'm going to do that now because I have a few spoilery Master of None questions that I want to put at the end for people who want to turn off the podcast because they haven't finished. Uh, But the first one will be, uh, what's the most recent work of pop culture, book, movie, TV show, whatever you've consumed and what did you think of it? Oh, good question. You know, so... I saw a, like a second of this because, but I actually seen it recently. So Aziz and I, uh, there's a theater next to us called the Metrograph, um, right. very close to where I live. And it's kind of an art house theater. Um, and they asked us to sort of present a series of movies and, and just pick a few movies that we liked. So last night before that dinner, I, uh, um, I presented uh, Tokyo Story by mm-hmm. uh, Yasujiro Ozu, and I actually watched that pretty recently. So I'll say that's the the one of one of the most recent things I saw. Part of it, and then left to, to go eat a uh, uh, pasta with a with a weird sauce made of crazy birds mashed together. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really like that movie, and, and and I'm writing a family movie right now, so it was very inspirational, and 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 just the pacing of it, and the the naturalism, and the 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 patience that Ozu displays. Um, where it's so not plot driven to the point where important plot occurrences take place off screen. Like mm. that, that's always interesting to me, right? Where, yeah. where suddenly characters are talking about something and you realize a monumental event has taken place and you didn't see it. That, that, that to me is so yeah. uh, Japanese and, and specifically Ozu, where it's like, it's not about rushing into conflict or showing drama in every scene because that's not how life is. To me, that's a very Hollywood sort of, you know, very movie, movie, movie type of uh, a style, which I enjoy, but yeah. uh, but this uh, this uh, this movie is the opposite of that. Um, what has been your worst pop culture outing? Could be a bad movie date, a concert you took some friends to, they just hated, something like that. Worst ever. Oh, man. I'm gonna, who am I going to slam? <laughs> <laughs> uh you know, it's probably, oh man, it's probably like a music festival or something. I mean, I'm too old to go to music festivals <laughs> now. So like uh, maybe like one of the last times I went to Coachella. Mm-hmm. And if you go too early, like it's really hot. And mm-hmm. so uh, just 
you know, your friend's just like dying of heat stroke. You know? <laughs> so like that, yeah. That's pretty bad, right? So if I ever go to a festival now, uh, you know, uh, go at like sundown <laughs> and like drink a lot of water. Uh, don't go during the day, man. I'm done with that stuff. <laughs> that, that year that Coachella was all streamed on YouTube was my favorite year. Uh, I just yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm too spoiled. I won't, I won't go to a music festival and wait like in a big crowd. It's, I'm too old for that. <laughs> Uh, and and sort of our last question uh, from this section um, is, who is the writer you've learned the most from that you've never met? Ooh, ooh, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to go really Japanese with this whole section because mm. I, I, you know, there are a million answers to this. Um, Haruki Murakami is, mm. is a big one for me just in terms of uh, of prose fiction and, and uh, just opening your mind up to new worlds that don't make any sense logically, but make sense emotionally. And that's a big thing for me is what are you doing when you're trying to create, uh, create something, you know, a work of art or a book or a show. Mm. You're trying to evoke a feeling. You're trying to evoke a feeling in the audience and, and, and provoke a reaction and make them feel something. And you right. don't – it doesn't necessarily have to be didactically the same thing in every person, but make them feel. Um, that's the number one thing to me. And making them think is good too, but making them feel to me is 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 really challenging. And, and you know, Murakami has there's, – there's very little logic to his work. Um, there's – as people have said it before, there's more of a dream logic. But – there's passion and there's 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 romance and there's love and there's alienation and there's loneliness and it's all in there and you put down the book and you have no idea what just happened but you felt something and I, th- I think that's really amazing um, I have a few minutes left so I'm gonna ask a few spoilery master of none questions uh, so if you haven't seen the season please turn off the podcast now you'll only miss the closing credits so you're not you're not missing <laughs> <laughs> don't ruin this for yourself I beg you everything is better without spoilers man um, and I have just a, just a couple but uh, first date is such an uniquely edited put together episode what was the conversation like behind that one and like how how did you how did you how much time did that take to make that seem like it made sense yes so uh great question because there's a the answer is a lot of work. The answer is, first of all, we wanted to do an episode about dating apps mm-hmm. because it's just this relatively new phenomenon that is changing everything. It's changed everything. I mean, it's now gotten to the point where if you're not using the dating apps and you're a single person, it's like a conscious choice. You're like, oh, why not? It's now it's a why not instead of a why. Yeah. And so we wanted to write about that phenomenon and we just could not figure out how to do it in an interesting way. You know, you could do just one date or something, <laughs> but but just we wanted to challenge ourselves and do something interesting and that felt original. And so we were walking around. We decided to have lunch with one of our friends who's a great writer who who didn't work on the show necessarily, helped out a little bit just for fun, but but uh is on the apps. Mm-hmm. He's on the apps. He he really like uses them and and uh so we had lunch with him. We're like, well, how do we do this? How do we do this? And literally at the same time, I think Aziz and I had a weird mind meld where he's like, well, what if it's different people? I'm like, and it's one night and we're, you know, and, and we just kind of like, and, and you just keep switching out the person. Mm-hmm. And so that idea was very exciting to us. And we're like, okay, this, this, now we have juice. So then what we did is we just started coming up with the the main stories. We knew we wanted some of the, some of the women to, to persist throughout the date. Mm-hmm. Throughout the episode, and 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 then you could show. So we came up with the main dates, and some of the big ones were Christine's and Priya's and and uh, Diana's, right? And so we we wanted to weave those stories throughout. And then we we're like, okay, what other kind of people do you meet? And that was really fun, where it's mm-hmm. like just pitching comedy characters and shitty people that you meet and great people that you meet. And so we just 
tons and tons of bits. Mm-hmm. Then we like made a chart of like all, you know, you know, it's because it's math at a certain point. It's math. You're like, okay, this, 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 this. Even though you know you're going to assemble in the editing room, you want it in script form so it's correct. Then the casting is crazy because there's so many parts in that and they all have to be killers. You know, they all have to be good. And we just kept putting it off, putting it off because, you know, what happens in casting sometimes, we were in Italy for a lot of this and our casting person, uh, Cody Beakey, sends us videos because we're not there in person for a lot of the first reads. And so he, we had, I want to say a hundred videos. I mean, so many videos and, and, and of, of just people auditioning, you know, so many women for the first date episode, you know, two, it was like two Oh four, like, here's the videos. It's like, Oh God. So one night, uh, one night in, uh, I think we were near Pienza, uh, in Italy, me, Eric and Aziz were like, we got to do this. Like Cody's going to murder us. Like we have to watch these videos. So we sat down and watched every video and just like, boom, that person, that person, that person, that person, that person. Mm. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, some really funny, talented people, really right. funny people. And, 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 uh, and then in the editing of it, man, you know, Jen Lilly, uh, one of our editors who also did season one, um, did that episode and, you know, she, she, she had a lot of fun. She's, yeah. she, you know, she told us, you know, texted us, like, she's like, it's going to work. Cause that's in one of the episodes you mentioned earlier. Are you scared? It's like, yeah, we're scared. Cause it might not work. <laughs> it might be like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, it's, it's confusing. It's, it's not funny. Um, but yeah. And during the shooting of it, Eric directed that one. He did a great job. Um, we had this massive board just to make sure we didn't miss anything. And the board was like, it's, it's incredibly difficult to shoot that because you're, you're trying to, to be efficient. Like our assistant director, I think Christo Morris did that one, but, but, uh, you know, was it him? No, I might've been Patrick, uh, Patrick Huber, but, uh, you know, we had just massive like poster board of right. every actress and every date and making sure we got every side and Aziz's reaction on every side because it's just confusing and you had to check off everything. So it was literally like a massive board. I have a picture it on my phone <laughs> of like, and then as we got closer and closer, we're like, wow, we're getting there. We're getting there. And finally, you know, we checked off the last shot we needed. And, 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 you know, it, it's a miracle. And, you know, these <laughs> things are all small miracles that they got done. But, but uh, yeah, it was, it was intricate every step of the way. Uh, New York, I Love You is my favorite episode of the season. Oh, thanks, uh, man. I think it's a beautiful piece of television. But what was that? Because it actually is a thing I've always wanted to see, which is who are the, like, people, like, the extras in this TV universe and, like, what's their life? Yes. Like, what was the conversation like that led to that? And, and tell me about how you picked the stories that went into that episode. That is exactly, you know, that was one of the inspirations, what you just said. Um, another one was season one, uh, during that period that I talked to you about where me and Aziz were just hanging out in New York and walking around talking about the parents episode and, and some other episodes. Uh, we were walking on St. Mark's place in the East village and we we we're inspired at this point. Cause we're like, wow, the parents episode seems crazy. And like, it's cool that it's basically the parents story, not a deaf story. <laughs> and so we walked past like, man, we, maybe we can do anything. Like, you know, we walked past a, like a street vendor selling sunglasses. Like what's that guy's life? Like, you know, like what, is, what if there's an episode about him? And I feel like we didn't really have the balls to really do that season one. We're like that, you know, that's, yeah. that seems too crazy. Um, but it was in our brains. It was in our brains. It's been kind of incubating since then. And the other thing we were talking about, which you just mentioned is, you know, in a movie, like, you know, in a rom-com or something that stars, like, you know, Jennifer Aniston, 
you know, you see a character like the doorman, all he ever says is, hi, Ms. Jenkins. And then, you know, she walks in and she has her drama with Gerard Butler or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, but like, um, you know, we're like, well, what, that, what's that guy's life? Like, you know, he has that one line and like, I'm sure he has problems. His problems might be harder than Jennifer Aniston's problems. Yeah. Um, no shade on Jennifer, by the way, great actress. We'd love to work with her. Uh, but, but the, uh, but, uh, that was one of the inspirations. It's like everyone in the world, every human being, is the star of their own show, their own <laughs> movie. And everyone's a protagonist. No one's a background player in their TV show. You know, that was, that's kind of the idea. Yeah. Um, and so as far as who we picked, we had a lot of ideas. We talked about what kind of people you bounce around and bump into when you're bopping around New York. So when you're walking, and so that's why we settled on like, you know, doorman, a cab driver, a convenience store clerk. Um, we had a whole other story beat out that was an older Chinese woman who was a waitress at a restaurant that Dev and his friends like to go to. And she had this whole romance. And so it was it was pretty interesting. Um, we killed that one. We had one that was about a, a housekeeper um, who, who comes and like cleans apartments. And then she had like she had a whole story. So we had a lot of different options. And we just we, we beat out stories. We beat out a lot. We beat out five or six different stories. And these were the best ones because it was very important to us that these stories didn't feel half-baked and watered down. Or like, oh, they're showing these other people's stories. Like, what? That was an interesting idea. But the, inter- the idea fails if the stories aren't as interesting and fun and funny and emotional as dev stories. Um, then you're just kind of mailing it in, right? Yeah. We, we wanted them to be, they had to be as good as another episode of the show, for lack of a, a better word, you know, of a, back, of a way to describe that, where, you know, because... Because the point is that everyone's life has these tiny dramas and, and triumphs and tragedies. And, you know, so a lot of it was done by research also, you know, right. as we talked about where we got real stories. You know, there's the, there's the great line where, where uh, the, uh, you know, the customer comes in and talks to the, 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 uh, the, the cashier and, and he is kind of hitting on her and, and makes it kind – of, he attempts American Sign Language and does a gesture. <laughs> and she says, you just asked if you and me are socks, you know. <laughs> and that's based on a real story that oh. happened to uh, Malini, who plays uh, Shruti, the best friend character in the park. Mm. Uh, she told us that story, and we're like, that's great. That's going in the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chef Jeff turn in the finale where we learned that he's a, a creep uh, and harasser. Uh, where, where did that come from? And uh, it's such an interesting ethical conundrum for Dev to have to deal with. Yes. Um, so that is very much, you know, that was so relevant at the time we were writing it. And some of the writers were afraid, like, well, will this feel dated? And the sad conclusion we came to is like, no, it won't feel dated because it's going to happen again because it keeps fucking yeah. happening. And, you know, when the Bill O'Reilly thing happened two weeks ago or whatever, I text disease and it's like, it's Chef Jeff again. It's like Chef Jeff again. And this guy hosts a show. He literally hosts a show and he's doing Chef Jeff stuff. Um so uh, yeah, it, it had, we had always planned on that being the end of the, the end of the thing, and we always wanted to make Chef Jeff a really positive, happy guy, and like a really like he's a he's a good friend. He's a he's a friend to, to to Dev, and and that situation it was a very tricky writing problem at the end right. because it's not Dev's story. No, you know it's not it's not Dev's story. It's Lisa's story, mm-hmm. and it's really shitty for Dev to do nothing. And we also didn't want him to be a white knight and swoop in and save Lisa and report it. And he's a hero. That that seems so wrong to us because mm-hmm. that's not your place, right? It's yours. It's it's unfortunately the person who gets harassed. It, you know, she has all the agency, and it's 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 kind of her story at that point. The way we got around it is we had him be paralyzed, 
And then it all exploded before. And that was our cheat is it all explodes before he can even decide what to do because we beat out so many different options where he does X or Y and none of them felt right. And so mm. we wrote this big comedy scene on Raven Live, which which to me came out really funny. Like, like you know, just watch, you know, that's one of the, the, the weirdly, it's one of the most serious and purest comedy, purest comedy scenes of the whole season. Mm-hmm. You know, just watching Dev uh, <laughs> try to deny being friends with a guy he's on a show called BFFs with, um, you know, that always made us laugh. So, so, so I was happy with how that came out. Uh, Raven Live is my favorite thing. Uh, <laughs> my final question is, uh, tell me about building the romance of the season and that final uh, shot, that final sequence, what, uh, what you were going for there, because I, I, I'm holding on to it as ambiguous, even though it's not ambiguous, like, but like in my heart, it's ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many ways to look at it and, and we don't want to, uh, like, we really don't want to color people's interpretations because to me, that's the beauty of it. Like we talked about so many of our favorite endings to big romantic stories. You know, we talked about, you know, there's so many versions of it. And what we didn't want to do was wrap it up with a nice bow. Either way, I I think it's such a well done, you know, Alessandra was so great for us this season. And Aziz did a great job with episode nine, which really builds it. Um, And and, uh, I think you really care about these characters. And, you know, we just want it to be really, really mysterious. And people have said, like, oh, is it a dream? Is it a flashback? Mm-hmm. Is it? And there's certain things, there's certain details here and there. If you read off enough on the internet, you'll read the details of the specifics of that last shot. But to be honest, um, we agonized over that last shot so much. That's mm-hmm. the thing we spent. That's the thing that, like, our post guy was, like, pulling his hair out. He can't pull his hair out because he's actually a bald man. But <laughs> but metaphorically, um, his name's Henry. He's great. Um, but uh, but he was like, guys, we have to lock the show. <laughs> like, we have to lock the show. And, and Aziz and I were like, oh, like, we, we just like, we got to do a call. And so we we, we roped our, our editor, Daniel Hayworth, into the conversation. And me, me, Aziz, and Daniel would talk about it a lot. And just like, because it's very important. It's the last frame of the season. And, and we talked about how long it should be, you know, whether there should be music underneath. We talked about the shot of the windows with the snow right before that shot was really important somehow. We cut so, you would not believe how many versions of the ending exist. Like, mm. you would not believe. No, number one, how many we wrote months and months before, how many we shot during production, and how many we edited it. That would be its own 10-episode series. <laughs> like, it, honestly, it's 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 hours of footage. It's hours of, like, ideas and, like, uh, right. and experiments um, because, because uh, you know, we wanted to figure out one that felt right. And so, to me ambiguous is exactly the word that's that's what we're going for and draw what conclusions you may from that wonderful well thank you so much for your time alan master of none uh is on netflix both seasons go watch it now thank you for dropping by thank you so much man this was this was amazing really in depth and then i had a great time I Think You're Interesting is executive produced and hosted by Todd Vanderwerf. In case you hadn't guessed, that's me. And there's one thing I love doing. It's reading closing credits, and I'm going to do it right now. Fox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishak Kurwa. Our sound designer and our recording engineer this week is Miles Yule. Our logo design is thanks to Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Ulrich. Our production coordinator is Paige Bethman. 
Audio engineering and post-production are provided by P3 Post. Our studio this week is the Vox Media Podcast Studio in New York City. That's right. I'm on the road. Uh, Our editor, as always, is Peter Leonard. Please join me next week when we'll be talking with someone else from the world of arts and culture that I think is interesting. And until then, remember, everybody around you has their own story. Sorry for the dead air. You can edit this out. Edit out Alan thinking of the last pop culture thing he consumed. (laughs) I'll sing public domain Um, songs.